0: Should a man who tried to kill three soldiers, who is still considered a significant threat, but who was found not criminally responsible just a couple of months ago, should he be able to go to college? Because that is a, a reality unfolding in Hamilton, as the Toronto Sun reports that Ayan Lee Hassan Ali has been granted permission to attend Mohawk College at some point. And this was a decision made very recently by... Um, Our lawmakers. But back in March of twenty sixteen, Hassan Ali had walked into a Toronto military recruitment center and he was armed with a knife. And the schizophrenic man tried to kill three uniformed soldiers, including a female whose throat he tried to slice. Now this was two years ago, and his doctors say he still poses a significant threat and that he still has the potential to act out on political and radical ideas. But if he's on his meds, uh, and if they can be managed, then he's okay. Well, that's the problem. What if he's not on his meds? What if no one's watching? This guy still believes that soldiers are a legitimate target and that he has a license to kill. So he has been, in fact, greenlit lit despite all this, by the Ontario Review Board uh, if he wants to attend some classes at the college, which is directly across the street from the psychiatric hospital that he is now detained at. So when I saw this headline, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, I get that we have to balance his right to an education and fairness, and you want them to be rehabilitated, but what about the students? What about the school? They didn't know anything about this when I called them. And Mohawk will join us after the nine o'clock hour. But again, these non-criminal rulings that we are, coming at are getting out of the courts, you know, the public safety has to be held and maintained and confidence has to be kept. And right now, I think people are feeling very nervous. Ask yourself, would you want this guy in your class? I wouldn't. No, Thanks. Let's bring in a guy who happens to know this issue very, very well, Joe Newberger. He's our global news radio expert, uh, legal expert, but he also sits on the Ontario Review Board. So that's why I wanted to bring him in particularly to this conversation. He joins me now. Joe, you know these cases make my head spin, um, but how is it that a dis- a decision like this gets made? Because I know you know this area of law
1: particularly
0: well, but I think for the general public to hear that this guy is going to get the nod to go to a college, it won't sit well.
1: I understand that, but you, the, the difficulty is the disconnect between what the public understands about the Ontario Review Board process and how we handle persons who are mentally ill versus what we expect of people who are true criminals. So this individual has schizophrenia and when treated and under supervision, which includes a structure, supervision, monitoring program, the individual can be maintained quite well in the community and attend community programming, which could include school. And by no means is the measure of monitoring anything which is, uh, you know, sort of a slack process. It's very intensive. And the relaxation of privileges in order to allow somebody to have access to the community or access to community programs such as education is done on a very gradual process, measuring the ability of the individual to access the community, report back on time, Uh, there is a mental status examination done, compliance with medication, etc. So it is a very controlled, structured process where the community really should have great faith that this person will be safe in the community.
0: Okay, but it is the unsupervised part that I think a lot of people will have problems with because this guy's own doctors have said, yeah, he's good when he's on his meds, but he still talks about, you know, the Canadian government, their involvement with Muslim countries and Canadian soldiers. And so this guy has a propensity and they warn he can and will attack again. Uh, You know, so... It's not that anyone would not say you don't have the right to that education. It's just that they can't watch him 24 7.
1: I understand. So I would have to really read the decision of the Ontario Review Board in detail in order to give you a flavor of why they've made the determination that they have. But what I suspect is this individual has achieved a level of stability uh, and compliance with medication that gives them the confidence that over the next short term, they will be able to be tested more and more in the community. But they're not unsupervised, they're indirectly supervised, and there are stipulations on how long they can be out, on the the conditions that they can be out with respect to reporting, etc. So it's not that they just go out and come back whenever they want. There is a very gradual process of increase of privileges such that they may attend eventually, if at that level, that they can be trusted to attend for an 8 o'clock school program and return by 1. Should there be any deviation, they will send out the police to arrest the individual right away. So it is actually a very robust and strong process to supervise these individuals in the community, more so than you would even imagine under parole. It is a very robust process addressing the clinical and psychiatric issues of the individual, but paramount is the protection of the community. And overall, statistically speaking, the Ontario Review Board has an outstanding record of releasing individuals to the community under indirectly supervised access or other Uh, grants of privilege without recidivism. So they do a very good job of it. And the Hamilton Hospital, St. Joseph's, Mm -hmm. as well as others like Ontario Shores, are extremely conservative in ensuring public safety.
0: Yeah, I'm familiar with the hospital. I mean, you grow up in Hamilton, you know where they are. My concern is that, you know, when we had guys like Richard Kashkar, you got a guy like Vince Lee, And I I was none too happy when when either of them were also deemed not criminally responsible. Both have got their freedom back to to a degree. But they all, you know, were um, contained and or in a situation of being watched in a facility for at least a few years, at least a minimum. This guy was just ruled upon in March. I mean, in May, in the spring. So it's only been a few weeks. Right. And it's still still under appeal by the crown.
1: I get it, but he's been on medication for at least two years, so he must be having a very, what we call, a robust response to medication. So he had untreated schizophrenia, and even though he harbors a fixed delusion, went on medication and in a structured environment. And that doesn't mean just in hospital, but he has to report to a forensic program. He seems to be very compliant, and we see this across the board with people. And so even though they may harbor these beliefs, they are very dependent upon and compliant with the regime which is set in place. So... You really don't see recidivism with them. They want to be involved with their mental health, even though they might not have the insight into their delusion. And what we have to move beyond as a public is separating the difference between somebody who is a criminal who's committed a horrific act and those which are truly ill, psychiatrically ill, just like a medical condition, and who, when treated, are doing very well. And that's what you see in these high-profile cases where the results are very tragic, but the reality is when treated, we have individuals who are responding well to a structured, monitored program.
0: Yeah, and and I get that. And and not criminally responsible is fairly new to the public. It's certainly not to the justice system, but it's because of these high-profile cases that we've started to talk about them. We're talking about mental illness a lot more, so it is becoming part of the conversation. It seems, however, that the federal government, uh, you know, maybe the system as a whole, doesn't have a real plan to deal with these cases, given the numbers are going up. You know, we had 4,500, I think, in 2015. There'll be more More and more of these numbers. And I think overall, uh, across the board, Canadians just don't feel comfortable with it. I can say, you know, I would not be thrilled if I were going to Mohawk College with this guy walking uh, amongst us. I would not feel comfortable.
1: Yeah, except that they should. And the reality is the forensic system, which is in place now under the Ontario Review Board in Ontario, as far as I'm concerned, is a far better process than the parole system. We have a number of individuals you know in the thousands who are monitored on a regular basis and are doing everything that's expected by attending for mental status examination medication compliance attending for rehabilitation and programming vocational programming and doing very well the difficulty is in the civil system where people are mentally ill are at risk and are not getting cared for and go out and commit horrific acts that's where the deficit exists that's where the public should be concerned why is the government not looking at providing proper funding to try and address right. people who are at risk. In the criminal process, we've got a pretty good handle on it. The funding's there and there is very dedicated individuals who are conservative but take a very uh, you know holistic approach to how to handle this, but paramount is the concern for safety of the public. And I can tell you not just as a criminal lawyer who practices in this area but somebody who is on uh, the board, mm-hmm. we take this very seriously. And overall, public safety is extremely important to every panel who oversees these individuals. Where we see the disconnect is the civil system of mental health. Chronically underfunded, it is not there to help people who are in crisis and in need, and we can identify them, yet it's not done.
0: Right. It isn't. And, and unfortunately, now you've got, um, you know, a city that certainly has more than its share of, of um, rehabilitation and, and halfway houses and all the rest of it. Now they're grappling with, OK, so this guy's got a right to an education. I have a right to an education. The school, which knew nothing about this, has been blindsided. And they're saying, OK, we've got to balance this out. So what is the balance?
1: Well, look, the school, uh, you know, I can't speak for the school, but, you know, now if it's brought to their attention, and they don't have uh, prior contact with the uh, hospital about this may say, you know, we don't want to accept them. But there are other schools that have programs with CAMH and other facilities. So, for example, George Brown yep. has a college with Cam, has a program with CAMH with respect to the chef and cooking program and other vocational activities. It's excellent. They provide external mm. supervision. They provide feedback. A number of individuals have come come through it very well with great results. And so, really, it's a very very healthy, robust system. If Mohawk College isn't aware, they have to make their own determinations for their own students and for the public at large. But I hope they come to the right conclusion, contact the hospital, have a good dialogue and do what's in everybody's best interest. It is not in our best interest to treat people who are mentally ill like criminals. It's in our best interest to try and rehabilitate them, medicate them, supervise them, have mental status examinations and help them become good members of the community the mental yeah. illness will continue we have to supervise it and many cases that goes on for decades that's yeah. just the way it is it but is a ro- yeah. it is a robust system we lose it with respect to the civil system where a family struggling with somebody who's not well they try and bring him into hospital they're formed 24 hours 72 hours then released won't comply with medication mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do we make that system right better
0: right yeah, it's not a black and white issue. It's not an it's easy not. issue, and not one we're going to solve in uh, nine minutes. But I do appreciate you uh, giving me your perspective and some insight into this because I think it's a shocking headline that took a lot of people off guard. So I appreciate it.
1: I hopefully, hopefully, have helped and I've given some insight. But thank you, Ellen. Thanks, Joe. All the best. Bye, bye.
0: Joe Newberger, uh, joining me to describe, you know, how it works. On point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.